Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Wow, fantastic. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2. We are in the middle of a series called Doing a Great Work. Come on, somebody say great work. We kicked this off two weeks ago when we talked about Nehemiah and the calling of a cupbearer. I love the story of Nehemiah. It is, it's one of the classic case studies in leadership. My prayer for us as a church and for you individually is that God would increase your influence, that God would enlarge your capacity to impact the world around you. I'm praying that when you come to church on Sundays, that, or when you're watching online or wherever, whatever campus you're attending, that you're able to get the tools that you need to build the great work that God has called you to build. You know, God will use ordinary people just like us. Aren't you glad God chooses? He doesn't necessarily choose the who's who of the Christian zoo. It's just simple folk. Come on, talk to me. Ordinary people to do extraordinary things so that he gets all the glory. And this is the story of Nehemiah who served as, as the cupbearer to the king of Persia. In the last couple of weeks, we gave you some of the history. And so if you're not familiar with it, go back and listen to those messages. I want to pick up in chapter 2, starting with verse 10. The title of the message today is simply this, The Courage to Construct. The Courage to Construct. We're going to start this whole project here. We're going to see Nehemiah building the walls of Jerusalem, rebuilding walls in 52 days, walls that had been in disrepair for 120 years. The shame and disgrace that rested upon Jerusalem during their captivity, God raises up an ordinary guy and sends him back home. He felt a burden to his people. Two weeks ago, we talked about, you know, if you're going to do something great for God, you have to have a burden. You have to have a sense of responsibility. You got to care. Sometimes we're bothered by things and we think, well, that's just frustration. Well, can I tell you this? The source of your frustration may be the seeds to your inspiration. Sometimes we get frustrated with the way that things are. It's easy to complain, but God's saying, no, 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 dig deeper. Maybe that frustration is going to inspire you to do something about it. And this is what Nehemiah does when he goes home. And so look at what it says in chapter 2, verse 10. We're talking about how, how to start this work, doing a great work. What does it take? The Bible says this, but when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased. They were upset. They were displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. Now, Nehemiah is there to help, but these guys aren't happy about him helping. Uh, last week, Pastor David, he challenged us. He talked to us about God will open doors through faithfulness and through prayer. But let me ask you this. What's on the other side of that open door? The room that you walk into, what are you going to experience? If you're going to do a great work, and I want to read through this chapter and give you four simple things, uh, here's something to remember. Number one, you've got to expect opposition. Expect 
opposition. Now, we pray for open doors, and God gives us access into places that we couldn't get into on our own. But I want you to know that when that door is open and you walk through it, the room that you step into is going to have some enemies. Now, now, we want open doors and red carpet, don't we? Don't you, don't you feel like the favor of God is supposed to make everything easy? Let me tell you something about favor. Hear me, church. Favor doesn't come without a fight. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? Some of you know exactly what I'm speaking of because you're in the middle of a fight right now. You say, well, Mike, where's the favor of God? Well, favor gives you access, but it also creates enemies. Man, when God puts favor on you, not everybody is going to celebrate you. Can I have a good amen? You see, the truth is Nehemiah had the favor of the king of Persia. The, the most powerful man in the land, Nehemiah had favor to go back to Jerusalem and begin this construction process. But what Nehemiah found out is when he got back, he was met with opposition. Favor doesn't come without a fight. You say, well, Mike, well, I'm not understanding favor. I thought favor was supposed to make everything easy. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Some of you came to church with certain expectation, and I know I have disappointed you. But, but let, me, let me show you how this works. Why does God put favor on your life in the first place? Because you have an assignment. Favor is not just for you to feel good. Favor is not for you to look good. And favor is not about you showing off. Come on, talk to me. Well, I just got favor on my life. And man, y'all look at me. Check me out. The favor on you is not about you. God will put favor on your life because there's an assignment. There's something for you to pursue. So favor, favor is for an assignment. And when you have a divine assignment on your life, enemies will show up. In fact, let me say it this way. If you're taking ground in the kingdom, somebody else is losing grounds. And when they lose ground, they ain't giving up without a fight. Some of you have run right into the enemy. I mean, life is hard right now, and that's not the absence of favor. In fact, it should confirm to you that God is with you and you're pursuing a divine assignment. My mama said it this way. She'd say, son, if you haven't run into the devil, you might be running with him. Mm, come on, home at me today. So, so if you're going to do a great work, you've got to expect opposition. Don't let it catch you by surprise as if something strange has happened to you. In fact, it just validates your testimony and your divine assignment. The devil's not going to roll out the red carpet for us. In fact, Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. He said, there is a wide open door. Come on, there's the open door. Oh, favor will open doors. He said, there's a wide open door for what? A great work. That's the assignment. God's opening the door because you have an assignment. He says, and when I walk through that door, guess what? Many people opposed me. Opposition is all around me. Can I tell you this, church? Hell will fight you over what heaven has called you. Heaven calls you something. 
God's put a divine assignment on you. He's put his name on you. But hell will fight you over what heaven calls you. Uh, Consider Jesus when he was baptized. Uh, Remember in the Jordan River when Jesus was baptized by John? The Bible says that when he came up out of the water, a dove came and settled upon him, a representative of the Holy Spirit. And this voice boomed from heaven because God wanted everybody to know, this is my son, the one that I love. In him I am well pleased. Heaven made an announcement. So guess what? Hell showed up. Three verses later, we see the devil coming at Jesus in the wilderness. And he questions everything God had just said. If you really are the son of God, then do this, 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 and this. Can I tell you, you are what heaven says you are. Struggle is no stranger to the plan of God. Struggle is a part of the process. And Nehemiah is getting ready to step into this project, of course, with favor, with resource, with divine appointment, but he's going to meet a lot of opposition along the way. And some of you, that describes exactly where you are right now. Everything is just a fight. I mean, things are coming against you at work. Things are coming against you in your family. Some of you, some of you are not looking forward to Thanksgiving this week. Because you got family that's coming in from out of town, and you're like, oh, Lord Jesus. Some of you better get prayed up right now, because you know, come on, the enemy will come in all different shapes and sizes and some faces that are very familiar. Oh, y'all don't want to hear me today. You know, but listen to this. I was reading in Psalm 110 the other day, and God made a a proclamation. He says, I will humble your enemies and, and make them a footstool. Under your feet. God's going to put your enemies under your feet. Why is that important, a footstool? Why does God equate enemies and opposition with a footstool? What do you do with a footstool? You rest your feet on it. You know, listen, if it weren't for adversity, you would have nothing to step on to go to the next level. Mm -mm -mm. You've been praying, God, bring increase, enlarge my capacity, grow my influence. Lord, I want to go to the next level. And God says, okay, well, I'm going to send some adversity your way because that's a footstool that you can step on to go up higher. Are you catching this today? You see, my job as your pastor is not always to make you feel good when you come to church. My job is to teach you God's word so you'll know how to live when trouble hits. And can I tell you this? Trouble's coming. For some of you, trouble's already here. But the good news is, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. The Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you, God says, I will condemn. You see, I want to instruct you in the word. Because struggle, listen to this, struggle produces strength. Why am I always struggling? Why am I always fighting? You know, why is it always so hard? Struggle produces strength. When you go to the gym, how many of you, you go to the gym every so often? How many of you have a gym membership? That's got to count for something. Talked to a guy the other day. He said, Pastor, I I drove by the gym, and when I drove by, I felt so good, I had to circle back and drive by it again. (laughs) When you go work out, what do you do? You put some weight on the bar, and you put your muscles under pressure, and the object is to, to push that weight, and if you can 
push that weight, then it's going to build strength inside of you. If it works physically, then it works spiritually too. Faith is a muscle. And you know what? God is testing your faith. He's bringing adversity to you, but he's put so much in you that he knows you're going to make it through it. And if you can push back on that without giving up, that struggle is going to build endurance inside of you. You've got to expect opposition. You're going to have your Sambalats and your Tobias and your Geshems that'll come against you. You'll show up to Jerusalem with a desire to help people and just rebuild walls and lives and, and families. And your motives are pure, but the enemy will do everything he can to defeat you and distract you. Uh, count it all joy, the Bible says. Adversity comes with it. It's part of it. And I know you've heard this, but, you know, boiling water, it's the same boiling water that, that, that hardens an egg, but it softens a carrot. Think about that. That boiling water will get that egg hard or soften that carrot. When it comes to trouble, don't get bitter, get better. You decide how it's going to work in your life. Don't let trouble harden your heart. Let it strengthen your resolve and soften your spirits. Expect opposition. I'll say it this way too. The bigger the vision, the greater the opposition. Some of you are like, man, I ain't got nothing going on. Well, maybe you need a bigger vision then. Maybe you need to stir up some devils and believe God for bigger things. Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem and not everybody celebrates his arrival. Look at what it says in verse 11. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for this city. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey that I was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I, I went up the Kidron Valley instead inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. Listen to this. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not said anything to anyone about my plans. Can I stop right here and say this? You don't have to broadcast everything that you're doing. Now, I know that's not popular because social media, man, we're putting out there whatever we're thinking, whatever we ate, what our cat's doing. God bless all of that. But you don't have to advertise. Just because God's, he, if he's doing something in you, maybe it's just for you right now. Bible says Mary pondered these things in her heart when the angel of the Lord showed up and said, you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You'll conceive a son. You'll call his name Jesus. Guess what? She didn't get on Facebook. She pondered it in her heart. Notice what Nehemiah is doing. He hadn't said anything to anyone. He said, I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. If you're going to do a great work, number one, you better expect opposition. But number two, you better do your homework. You better do your homework. Before Nehemiah put one brick on top of another, before he put one stone on top of another, the Bible says he did a little covert mission. Under the cover of night, a little scouting trip. Didn't make any announcements. There was no public fanfare. There was no publicity in this. There was something secret that had to take place 
first. He did his homework. He, he did a little inspection of the walls and the gates. He did an assessment. I think this is important. This is part of the reason why we come to church on Sundays is to do an assessment. We've got to look within. There's some inspection that has to take place. How many of you know you can't expect what you don't inspect? A lot of times we have expectations for our, our business or expectations in a relationship or expectations for our finances. Well, you can't expect something if you're not inspecting something. Homework is valuable. I know I'm sharing this and, and students here are groaning. How many of you did not like doing homework when you were in school? How many of you, your children, struggle to get their homework done? How many of you struggle to help your kids with their homework? Yeah, the math is a little different these days, isn't it? Like, no, Dad, it's not that. Well, in my day, this is how we do it. You do this, you practice, you carry the one. I don't know. I don't know. Y'all figure it out. Homework requires you to think about it outside of class time. Homework allows you to develop your skills. Homework helps you to internalize the process. You're hearing about it in the classroom, but then you got to take it home and you got to internalize it. Listen to me. Homework prepares you for tests that are coming. Some of you are wondering why you're failing tests, and maybe the issue is not that you're not a good test taker. It's that you haven't done the preparation necessary. <laughs> Come on, smile at me. I love you. I love you. Do your homework. Now, listen, when, when we were in youth ministry, and I loved it, Rachel and I, the first 10 years of this church, we were youth pastors. And some of you, we were your youth pastors. And now we're dedicating your children and baptizing your kids. It's amazing. I, I love the, 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 the journey we're able to take with students. But 25, almost 30 years ago, we were youth pastors. And it was, so, it was almost funny. On Wednesday night, we would have youth service, and I would have kids come to me, and this was a recurring thing. Oh, Pastor Mike, can you pray for me? I have a huge biology test in the morning, a huge test. And oh, I'm just so nervous. I'm so scared. Can you please? I need your prayers. And so I'd say, well, sure, I'd love to pray for you about this test. But before I pray, let me ask you a question. <laughs> have you studied for this test? And it's like it was the same answer every week. Like, what? Study? It's like the, the thought never dawned on them to study for it. They'd say, oh, oh, of course not. That's why I'm asking you for prayer. I need God to intervene. So they want me to pray this bail you out prayer for something that you've never prepared for. So here's what I would say. I'd say, well, you know what? That gives me all the information that I need. Let's pray right now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would give him, give her the ability to remember everything that they have studied and prepared for in Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor Mike. How many know they didn't come back for a second prayer? The problem is they wanted God to do his part, but they didn't want to do their part. When you do your homework, you step into a position of preparation. Let me tell you this. I, I, you know, it's interesting because school, and I realize academics is different for different people, but you know, I, I didn't, it wasn't natural for me. I made good grades. 
but it wasn't natural. I, didn't, I couldn't walk into a room and just ace the test. But people would ask me, hey, how'd you do on the test? Well, I got an A. Oh, wow. How did you do that? You must be brilliant. You must be genius. You must be extraordinary. No, I did my homework. I, when there was a reading assignment, I read so that the pop quiz the next morning didn't surprise me. Come on, somebody. It's not about being brilliant. It's about being responsible. And if we would embrace responsibility, hear me, if you'll be responsible with what you have, God will make sure you get everything you need. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. <laughs> oh, Mike, how did you do all your good grades? Homework. Homework. You've got to put in the time. How many of you know God does not bless laziness, sloppiness, irresponsibility, or being ill-prepared? Listen, some of you got meetings and, and you've got presentations. Show up knowing your stuff. If you'll take responsibility, God will give you the grace that you need in that moment. Nehemiah, he surveyed the walls without making any announcements. Uh, how do you do a great work? Number one, you got to expect opposition. Number two, do your homework. Number three, and we're going to see this, Nehemiah created buy-in. He created buy-in. Watch what he says here in the next verse. Verse 17. But now, after he had done his homework, he had surveyed the walls. He went under the cover of night. He already had the favor of the king, the backing of the, the king of Persia, and all the resources at his disposal. Now he says this. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. You see, at the proper time, when Nehemiah had endured opposition, he had taken responsibility to do his part. Then he, he was able to stand in front of the leaders and make a plea and say, follow me. He created buy-in. Now, let me tell you this. People will buy into you before they buy into your plan. Sometimes we're trying to sell people on a plan, uh, but it's not about the plan. It's about the person. How do you create buy-in? I know when I'm saying buy-in, that's kind of a, a business term. You say, Michael, I thought this was the kingdom. We're talking about kingdom business here. Uh, consider this. What, what am I mean when I say create buy-in? I'm talking about bearing fruit. Your life, what is active and growing in your life? Is your life fruitful because people will buy into you before they buy into your mission. You see, as a pastor, think about this. As your pastor, if I'm living recklessly, selfishly, if I'm jealous or greedy or materialistic, if I'm dishonest, then it doesn't matter what information I give you. It's not going to produce transformation because I'm a hypocrite. You're not going to receive anything from me. If my lips don't match my life, then nothing I say has any value to you. And don't ask people to follow you if your life is not bearing fruit in the thing that you say. You, you can talk a good game, but if you're not walking a good game, people can see a hypocrite from a mile away. 
And that's part of the reason why maybe our churches have struggled over the years. God's wanting us to bring authenticity back into the house. Don't preach one thing and live another. Man, anybody can preach a good sermon. Anybody can get up here and quote a scripture or two. But I'm telling you this, the best sermon you'll ever preach is not with your mouth but it's with your life. People will watch how we live. And if our life is bearing fruit, that's building credibility. People will buy into it then. Can I have a good amen? This is just discipleship 101. Jesus had to spend three years with his disciples before he sent them out with this message. Why? He couldn't give them the eternal message of the kingdom unless their hearts weren't in the right place. He's saying, I got to deal with your jealousy, deal with your insecurity, deal with your anger. He had to get their lives in position first so then their lips would match their life. People buy into you before they buy into your message. Remember in the early days of the church, again, young, inexperienced, our church was much smaller. It seemed like everybody was trying to sell me something. I mean, everybody had, there was a, there was a, a marketing, somebody was trying to, hey, I, I want to I meet with you and have lunch with you. I'm thinking, oh, great. I'm the youth pastor. They want to talk about youth ministry. No, they're trying to sell me something. And I had one guy, he was trying to, I think it was like this juice, like a healthy juice product. I don't know what it was, but it was kind of the latest craze, you know? And so he sees me and he's trying to sell me on this, this healthy juice product. Never mind the fact that he, he wasn't healthy himself. You see, I say that in a really nice way. But he's trying to sell me on a product that when I looked at his life, I'm thinking, this is not active in your life. Come on, are you with me? You understand what I'm saying here? Don't try to preach Jesus to somebody if you're not living in Christ yourself. If I don't, I thought I looked at the guy, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I don't, I don't trust the person. So I'm not buying the plan. Come on, somebody. Just because you say follow me doesn't mean that you're a person worth following. Hey, look, a couple weeks ago, we were at the LSU-Alabama game, okay? We were there. Awesome night. Okay, that place was rocking. So Trevor and I, man, we, we were sitting together, and man, we were nervous the whole game. And you know, you know how the game played out. You, you know, the, the game goes into overtime, and man, I, we're, I, I just didn't have a great feeling about it. Alabama scores first, they kick the extra point, then we get the ball, Jaden Daniels runs it in, and so now we got a decision to make. You know, are we going to kick the extra point, or are we going to go for two? And Trevor's like, Dad, should we go for two or kick the extra point? I'm like, no, 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 we got to kick that extra points. Aren't you glad I'm not the coach? <laughs> and so we line up to... To, to run the two-point conversion. And man, you know, you know what happened. And all of we, I lost my mind. I mean, I lost my mind. And Trevor's like, and so everybody's storming the field, right? Storming the field. And Trevor's like, Dad, we got to go. So your pastor participated in a little civil disobedience. Look at y'all. Y'all are bad. Y'all are so bad. And so we're down on the field, and it's just like, I mean, there are bodies everywhere. Man, we're right there, eye of the tiger, taking pictures. Man, we're having our moment. We're high-fiving people that we don't even know, man. It's just like, who are you? I love you. Go Tigers. Can you believe? You know, so when we had our moment then, I was like, okay, T-Rev, we got to get out of here. How do we get off this field? 
I mean, for real. I started, I kicked into dad mode. I'm like, okay, got to find an exit, got to find an exit. Well, there were some girls that were, that were close, and, and their family was right next to us. And one of the girls, she turned to her friend, and she said, grab my hand, follow me. And she grabbed the hand. She thought it was her friend. <laughs> She's grabbing my hand dragging me. Look, she drugged me for about 10 yards, okay? She says, follow me. We're getting out of here. And I'm like, wrong hand, wrong hand, wrong hand. And she, she's got me, and she turns around and looks and says, who are you? I said, not who you think. Wrong hand. Baby, if there's any pictures that show up on social media, I did not hold her hand. She was dragging mine. We didn't make it 10 yards closer to the exit, I will say. But my whole point is this. you got to be careful whose hand you're grabbing. Are you a person worth following? Can you turn to somebody and say, hey, take my hand. Follow me as I follow Christ. Because if you take me by the hand, I've got him by the hand. We're going to be okay. Come on, can you put your hands together? Is it bearing fruit in your life? Nehemiah, he has the meeting before the meeting. Let me wrap this up. Ask the, the band to come up. I've got to hustle. Okay, so number one, we talk about doing a great work. Number one, you got to expect opposition. Number two, do your homework. Number three, when your life is bearing fruit, it creates buy-in. And finally, number four, you've got to build a team. Build a team. Look at what it says in chapter two, verse 18. Then I told them, about how the gracious hand of God had been on me. I told them about my conversations with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild this wall. So guess what? They began the good work. Notice what Nehemiah does. Once he creates buy-in, then he starts to build his team. You've heard it said before, We've said this again and again. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a team. This thing called Christianity is, is not a sprint. It's a marathon. There's a distance that we cover. And God's not called us to go this thing alone. Let me ask you this. Who's your team? You got to have a team. Jesus could have done his assignment all by himself, but he chose a team. He said, I want you, I want you. I'll. Now, did he need them? No, he didn't need them. They needed him. But let me ask you this. Do you have the right people on your team? Because you will never do the will of God all by yourself. You won't do it. I'm telling you, the loneliest by you in the world, by yourself. <laughs> Christianity is not a solo shot, man. We need each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need me in your life. Come on, turn to somebody and say, I need you. In fact, do this, do this, do this. Put your Bibles down, put your notepads down just for a moment. I want you to put out the palm of your hand like this. Take your index finger like this. And I want you just to pat the palm of your hand, okay? One. A dream starts with one person, but it's never accomplished by one person. See what I'm saying? The dream started with Nehemiah, but he couldn't do it by himself. All right? You know what? He needed help. 
Now take two fingers. Oh, heard that? The Bible says two are better than one. For they have a better reward, a better return for their labor. Hear that? Now take three fingers. You know where I'm going with this. Come on, Ecclesiastes says that a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Talk to me. Talk to me. There's strength when three come together. Man, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Come on now. Now take that fourth finger. Daniel says that he's the fourth man in the fire. You put Jesus in that mix. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Come on, take that five five fingers right here. Come on, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Come on, stand to your feet. Let's clap our hands. Teamwork makes the dream work. Now listen, some of you, some of you, some of you are just content to live life like this. God's saying the best way to amplify and to grow your impact, you got to have a team. Some of you are doing life by yourself, and today God is calling you out of isolation. He's saying, get on my team. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit HealingPlaceChurch.org.